Welcome to Mission Control, Peralta Design's podcast on all things branding and digital marketing. Since 2008, Peralta Design has launched hundreds of brands with award-winning identities and websites. Join our hosts Ramon and Jorge as they use decades of combined experience to tackle topics with past clients, industry partners, and the rest of the PD crew. At Peralta Design, we launch brands. But for now, let's launch right into this episode of Mission Control. Hey everybody, welcome to Mission Control, where we respect the grind and reclaim the American dream. I am your host, Ramon Peralta with Peralta Design, and we launch brands. Today's guest is the new Vice President of Innovation, Strategy, and Advancement at the University of Bridgeport. She continues to oversee UB's Bauer Hall Innovation Center. She also leads the university's government and external affairs program, serving as the contact for the city, state, and federal officials. She served as director of the School of Business and launched UB's Student Entrepreneur Center in 2014. She's a member of UB's senior cabinet, reporting directly to President Danielle Wilkin. Please help me welcome the amazing and incredibly busy Elena Cahill. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There's so much here that we're going to have to do this in parts, I think. It's going to be like part one, part two. So, because that's a lot. And and kudos to you. You're an amazing person. I keep telling everybody here, she's a beast. Can't You guys can't wait to, you know, I can't wait to introduce you to her. Tell us about yourself. Oh, my gosh. Wow. The real Elena. The real Elena. As far back as you want. Um. My first career is being a hairdresser. Wow. That's the That's part. a trivia That's question right there. Right. Um, <laughs> I born in Bridgeport. Mm-hmm. Love Bridgeport. I love the University of Bridgeport. We were chatting a little bit before, and I was telling you that my brother went to the University of Bridgeport. I went to the University of Bridgeport. I actually started off at Rutgers University, chemistry major. Mm-hmm. Um, so I loved it. Like in terms of the university, it was big in scale, but the classes were so big, 500 students in a class. And I would come up and visit my brother and be like, wait, his school is so much more, <laughs> so much better than mine. I want to go to UB. <laughs> and that's how I ended up at UB. And I ended up transferring in my undergrad years. Um, I wanted to finish my undergrad very quickly because I didn't go right from high school. I was a hairdresser right. with a brief stint in New York City to be an esthetician. And then... Um, so I wanted to just really get through the law school and undergrad thing. And I came up to UB and finished up there and really fell in love with it. Um, so, yeah, so I have two kids and I have two stepkids, so four kids all together. And it's a great, big, wonderful, happy family full of diverse careers, which is really fun to watch. And we are also chatting because we have kids that are older. Um, so I have kids, you know, we have kids that work in fashion, kids that work in data science, kids that are accountants and social workers. So we span the gamut of the world, which is really, really fun to watch all of them grow up to be whoever they want to be, you know, and do what they do. And I love that they all do something different because it keeps me a little bit in all those spaces, which is really kind of fun. So that's it. That's who I am. I am a person who um, practiced law for a long time. I love learning about businesses. I love creating businesses. And I love working with students. Yeah, I can see. I mean, uh, you said something there. I want to go back to it. That you did you really say that you were at Rutgers, but you wanted to go to UB because it was better? 
I did. Like at one point, was UB Literally. on that level? Like it was better than Rutgers? You know, academically, um, UB back in the 80s when oh. I was there academically, interesting enough, the School of Business was the only AACSB accredited school of business in the area. Wow. And UB was hopping. I mean, the engineering school, everything. UB was a really, really good institution, mm-hmm. very highly regarded. Mm-hmm. And as much as I knew, I mean, bear in mind, I'm a first-generation student, right? Mm-hmm. Like, my parents didn't go to college. What do I know about college? Right. I know that you go, you get a degree, you get a job. Right. And academically standing, probably if I was looking at papers somewhere, it would have said Rutgers was a better school. Academically, I think in reality, equally as good, if, if not in part better, and I'll say that because going to a school and having this point of context when you're in classes with 500 students and you're a number, literally, like you look Just outside on the wall. Yeah. yeah. Nobody cares. I mean, yeah. you're being taught by TAs. You're not being taught by the professors. Right. Um, nobody cares if you go to school, you don't go to school. Right. Where at UB, you literally had a faculty member that knew your name. Mm-hmm. You know, every class, somebody knew your name and mm-hmm. cared. And if you found that you were studying and didn't get the grade you wanted, there was an accessible actual faculty member, not a TA, that was going to talk to you. Um, so from that context, I would say, yes, I mean, Rutgers is a bigger campus, a much bigger school. So right. there's more courses and degrees, but, um, I came up and ended up transferring to UB and never looked back. And the campus, we were sharing a little bit before in the, in the green room <laughs> about, um, just the, the, the social life on campus was so big. Yeah. So now dating myself, drinking age was 18 back okay. then. So, um, <laughs> the actual student center had a bar mm. and that was all legit like mm. you didn't have to worry about like how old you were right because you were old enough and um yeah I mean it was a dance hall it was a bar there was bars all around dance halls all night you had one night of the week you could go to all the different places you know and because I was a hairdresser it was kind of funny I was mm. supporting myself and paying for myself to go to school mm. and I was working at a bar in Westport a Mexican place during like as a real job and then I was cutting hair in the dorm you know so like if i want to go out on friday night you're right? hustling exactly like you need to go out you need some cash you yeah. five bucks a haircut there you go down at the end of the, the hallway in the dorm rooms and you can make 20 bucks and you're like good i'm good for the night let's go um, that's a real story yeah, that's <laughs> so awesome we, um, entrepreneurship yeah. right there really it's funny yeah. I, yeah all these parts of your life weave back together to make a fabric yeah fun. absolutely absolutely and i and i can date myself a bit i i frequented alberto's it was still there it was it was it was and you had the beach you know like yes and you be going back to it being so uh renowned um you know out of high school or in high school i had attended RISD for for some uh portfolio prep classes and they prepared me for this boston college you know art fair not boston college but it was in boston (laughs) it was a fair where you would go with your big portfolio and go table to table, and you could meet with the art departments of all these schools. And UB was 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 there, and I remember going to that, you know, that the the booth, the table, and showing my portfolio. You know, the, the professor's name escapes me, but he made an impact on me because he was able to identify one of my drawings. I had this study of an arm, like a really detailed forearm, and he said, "Hmm." Bridgman's Guide to Drawing from Life, page 54, or something like that. And I was, like, blown away. <laughs> and he was like, you've got to draw from life, kid. You can't, you can't keep drawing out of a book. And, I, and, and in the same breath, he said, I want to invite you down to campus. You know? And I didn't, I didn't take it as an offense. I was actually impressed that he recognized my work mm-hmm. from this book that I did have. And I did copy it from <laughs> the book. 
And uh, and when I went down to campus, I fell in love with the campus. You know, I fell in love with Bridgeport, really. You and know, where, where are you from? Uh, Providence. Oh, nice. I love Providence. Providence was very yeah. similar, except I felt like uh, Bridgeport was even more progressive. It was diverse. But what I noticed right away were like the political signs had like Puerto Rican names on them. Mm-hmm. And a cop car drove by when I was on campus, and it was a black officer and a Puerto Rican officer. Think little things like that that I wasn't accustomed to in Providence. Now Providence has come a long way, mm-hmm. but um, I, I it was a combination of feeling like okay, I can live here. It's progressive. It's near New York, mm-hmm. a couple hours away from home, and then they had a really really well known design program. Yes, you know UB's. In, you know, I mean, yes. it, it was just renowned. It was it was it was on par with all the best. If we get to this part of the conversation where we talk about where the schools ended up, I will share that it's really just the design program was just fun and the close people went to the design program, you know, without a doubt. And it's so part of life. And um, there's a hole right now, I think, without Mm -hmm. the design program being infiltrated within the school system. Mm -hmm. And design thinking would be, you know, from my vantage point, design thinking should be part of the MBA program. Absolutely. You know, problem solving yeah. in, in a major way. Now, the robotics school was always winning awards when we were there, like industrial design. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was just always in the news and winning all types of competitions. We have so many fun robotics. Um, so robotics right now would probably be under the mechanical engineering department right. in the engineering school. Back then, I think the industrial design school is part of the engineering program that moved over to being in the design building. But um, the making of really cool, fun things still takes place. And yeah. we have so many fun, you know, we have a yellow submarine, which is really cool, um, <laughs> which is really, really fun. But um, we have a huge robotics. And I haven't sat on a PhD dissertation in probably a year, but most of those that I have sat on their committees are around robotics mm-hmm. from the engineering school, something really yeah. cool, robotics. Awesome. I want to get back to you. I mean, you're really a renaissance woman with all these different... <laughs> things you did and tried and 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 but but the common thread there is that you yourself made you know first generation like myself and you know I had to become an RA because I needed to help pay for school um, and worked in school but um, I love that now you you got your law degree from from UB tell us a little bit about about that process well um, so being first generation and incredibly um, I want to say silly maybe the word might be stupid at the time. I didn't know much about, like, what that really was going to entail. And I first was accepted out to California to one of the California state schools for law school. And I was like, oh, this is great. I'll go to California. And in, like, two weeks, I'm like, I can't afford to live in California. I need to come back. And I had applied to UB and didn't accept my acceptance effectively. And, you know, I thought I could just walk back into the classroom. And they're like, well, no, like, we filled your spot. And I was like, (laughs) oh, no. What do I do now? So I went and took a job clerking in a law firm, which is probably everything the way it's supposed to happen, because I just didn't have any background or basis around law. And I don't know at the moment if I was going to school because I had the level of respect for the law that I probably have today. I think I might have been going more because I felt like I needed to um, still prove myself and still, you know, here I am at that point in time, this really kind of young, small person with long, crazy, curly hair that nobody's (laughs) taking seriously. And I'm like, I wanted people to take me seriously, and I think I felt that was a mechanism. That's okay. what was going to happen. And but were you like inspired by when you worked in the, in the uh, as a clerk there? Were did you look up to lawyers yeah, or feel really like they did. they seemed important? They did, and they really. Um, I love the way their minds thought, and they were very logical and problem solving. You said yeah. problem solving before, and I felt like that's a really cool space, being able to help people and solve problems. And 
those, so what happened was I went to the, this professor who was a business law professor at UV, and I was like, can you help me? He walks me into the dean of the law school and was like, you know, can you help her? And he ends up getting me in for January. So I have this period of time now, this window that I'm going to go work. And that what when I went to go clerk. And that was amazing mm-hmm. because I think it made or break my ability to do well in law school because I got to see things and form some context around law that I would not have seen if I had just gone right to law school. So I started my first semester in January at night, so I kept that job until the following August when I went in the day. And, yes, I incredibly respected the attorneys. Um, I also got to learn that they were just really normal people. You know, I think in my mind they were sort of untouchable, these doctoral (laughs) degree folks that were, you know, not from the world I was used to. And so there was a lot of positives that came out of that experience of not starting immediately. And I, I now actually mentor some students that are, depending on the path and their progression, to get some of that real experience before you jump in 100%. Mm-hmm. Because the context you can get around working every day. You know, I don't care if you work in the mailroom. If you're working in an environment every day, you're going to hear terminology. Mm-hmm. You're going right. to see behaviors. You're going to just have this intrinsic learning that you're not going to have if you just start right at school right. and you don't get that context. So, yes, it ended up being, I think, the best thing. And I went to law school. And I ended up practicing law, like traditional law, being an attorney, um, corporate attorney. I love numbers. I love science. So I'm definitely like, you know, I'm not a writer. People will probably rap fish in what I write. They don't really <laughs> hire me to write. Um, but I am more science number or- oriented and acclimated. So that was my practice. I had a practice of law until um, in the year 2000, I was, on, I was in Bermuda on a moped and I overshot a corner and drove myself into a truck and broke my body. Oh, my God! And that's really where a lot of the transitions start happening. It was like uh, one of those uh, uh, spiritual awakenings. Literally. I was like, whoa, what do I do now? <laughs> um, so broken. So it was that my fault. That is crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. It was like, didn't see that coming. And, um, yeah, so I was in a wheelchair for a bit. Like, my mom's And just being in another thing. country's, like, medical system can be. Which, thank goodness, was I was good. so fortunate. I was in Bermuda, and the orthopedic at the ER was a John Hopkins trained oh, orthopedic, okay. thank goodness. Yeah. Um, but, like, it was, like, legit serious. So, oh at gosh. my scene, they brought a doctor out, like, in case they were going to pronounce me dead. Are and you I was serious? Like, yeah, like, it was that hardcore. And I was, like. Were you unconscious? Not in the beginning. Like, at first, when it first happens, you just feel, like, water all over your body. And you see, like, arms and teeth and bones that you know you're not supposed to see. And you're just what? kind of, like. Yeah, like, you're just thinking to yourself, like, <laughs> do you survive? Like, am I going to survive right now? And um, so, I'm literally, like, thinking, like, I wonder, like. I wonder what happens right now. Like, you know, like, right. <laughs> where does this go? And um, and then I woke up, you know, like a day and a half later, all yeah. in pain Patched and messed up. And, yeah. yeah. Um, oh my and I remember God. the person I was with having to call my family and start the conversation with like, she's alive, oh you know, like, you know, which is, you know, never what your family wants to hear. Then I stayed there until I got stable and got many flown up to Yale and wow. finished up a lot. Did you have a long road of like uh, yeah. PT and stuff? I had a year of um, seven operations and, wow. and it, you know, it's all my dime cause it's like my fault. So, um, that was my transitioning out of the day-to-day practice of law and where I got into well, I was home, right? So, like, my mouse wire, my arm, my legs, everything's broken. And as I'm going through other operations and recovering, I have a whole lot of time to think. And my kids are young. They're four mm-hmm. and seven at the time. And um, people would just come and ask me questions. And I had all the time in the world to think about them. So I would think about business more holistically. And that's where I got into more creative forms of innovation. And, 
you know, when you're practicing law, I was doing a lot of corporate reorganizations. So I was always of like the system of a business type right, of person. Right. And this let me mm-hmm. sort of branch out even farther than that and get a little bit more creative with things and say, okay, well, if we're getting out of just the legal world, maybe you should consider doing X, Y, Z, whatever that might have been for the client, which led me to becoming a business consultant. And that led to me working on projects that I never would have seen coming. I um, created a med spa salon on Sunset Boulevard in L.A. I've created a tequila that you can go buy in the store today. I've created all kinds of fun things just because people would come to me and say, can you help me? And then I started really getting this, like, entrepreneurial bug. Like, oh, my gosh, like, I love creating something from nothing. Like, it's so much fun. Yeah. And um, so that's really the origin of entrepreneurship for me. Wow. Drive yourself into a truck and see what happens. So, <laughs> you know, um, well, we won't recommend that path. But, but, <laughs> Sorry. But it w- did work out for you. We're happy. We're, we're we so go. glad you're That's still here. That's how it all came to be. <laughs> but um, did anyone in your family inspire you the entrepreneurship? Like your dad or your mom? or were No, they, to the contrary, actually. Yeah. They're very... Um, the kind of factory old, kind of... Th- yes, exactly. Yeah. Old world folks that were sort of... Um, you're a hairdresser. You don't need to do anything else. Right. Like, why are you even going to college? Right, right. And... You know, you're a woman, you're a hairdresser, you should get married and have kids and call it a day. Um, yeah, I don't come from the environment of entrepreneurism at all, but I think that over the course of evolution and then watching my life yeah. and seeing later on. I mean, like, I mean, Ramon, you, you get this. I mean, back in those days, there were no college degrees. There were no classes in entrepreneurship. Right. There wasn't a... This wasn't cool back then. Back then, you're a gypsy. Right. Like, you're supposed to go work in a job and stay there for 30 years. Right. And if you get a watch or I don't know what you get after a long period of time, um, <laughs> that was your goal. Yeah. So people... That, that was were, success. Correct. Exactly. <laughs> and the idea of having interest in multiple industries or finding joy and learning right. continually wasn't so much... You know, you're fighting being a woman. You're fighting being first generation. And you're fighting the fact that you just don't want to work in the same job eight to right. five every There's day. There's a stigma to that. You know, so all of that put together, thank God I had the JD or I don't think anyone would have given me any respect. Right. So, <laughs> right. you know, yeah, that's but, you but the did you feel a sense of like, I've got a second chance here that I'm not going to squander it. I'm going to do as much as I can or I'm going to, yeah. I mean, because like that awakening, it did make you think creatively, but it also must have been like, well, I must be here for a purpose. Yes, without a doubt. Um I always I, I think about that often, actually, my purpose, because um, I think I've liked every job I've ever had. Everything I'm doing, I usually enjoy what I'm doing when I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, so whether I'm practicing law or owning an energy company, which I end up creating or raising my kids or being with the kids, whatever it is, wherever I am, I'm usually trying to be very present in that situation. And I think that deepened after the accident, which was be present in whatever it is at the moment you're doing and I generally speaking find joy in the things I'm doing but sometimes I could be preoccupied with something else I should be doing or you know where I try to really take a breath and really be present and be in it absolutely now I want to transition back to life at UB because you've done so much there you clearly have a passion for entrepreneurship but also for these students Um, how did you you know you're a business consultant how do you make your way back towards UB when I moved back from LA um, from those projects, my daughter was starting high school here. And, um, so we, the kids had moved to LA with me and we moved back. I kept my house here. Um, the same law professor I'm telling you about called me up and said, will you teach business law? And I said, yeah, I'd be happy to. 
And I fell in love with teaching. Like, I fell in love with the students. I fell in love with everything about that. And that was probably 2006 when he, they asked that. And um, after maybe like eight years or so, they invited me to come on full-time. He was retiring. So the JD at the School of Business, the doctoral full-time person, was retiring after 40-something years. And he's like, do you want to take my spot? And I ended up taking his spot. And I loved that. And then I was sharing with you, I started teaching along those eight years or 10 years um, business planning classes. And students would be in the business planning class, and sometimes they would want to create the business. And they're like, well, what do we do? And I'm like, hmm, great question. What do we do? So I'm like, let's start a student entrepreneur center. So we created a student entrepreneur center. And that was super fun. In the beginning, I had to recruit a lot of friends as volunteers to do it. And Did then, you model it after another program anywhere else? Um, I, w- I certainly looked at a lot of them. Yeah. I, I created a book with like 25 of them. Okay. 25 different entrepreneur programs throughout the country to see what they were like, how were they funded. Um, and then Ernie Trevs was still alive. Yes. I think you know Trevs. Yep. Yes. They're so a he was donor to yeah. the school, yeah. And he's just so, like he's a true entrepreneur, never mm-hmm. went to college a day in his life. Like he's an immigrant and entrepreneur. It was really, he's just a wonderful and do they own all the McDonald's? Or is a that, lot. Yeah. I think like 40 plus. They're yeah. just right now selling the Holiday Inn downtown. They own the oh, Holiday wow. Inn. And um, they're becoming apartments, just so you know. If you didn't read this in the paper now, so I could say it. But Ernie was someone to look up to and respect. Not only was he a gentleman, he was a genuine good person and entrepreneur mm-hmm. and really believed in entrepreneurship and business. And he was my supporter. Mm-hmm. And he funded me for the beginning of this. And he and I had to negotiate this, right? Like, to try negotiating with Ernie Treps. And the dean and the president at the time were like, yeah, you could talk to him, but, like, you have to do it. So I'm like, okay. So I'm like, I would like three years. I prepare my business plan. Was it Salonen or no? Um, yes. Okay, yep. yeah. And Neil. Yes, Neil Salonen, Lloyd Gibson, and myself. And then they leave me. They're like, uh. you have to do it. So I'm talking <laughs> to Ernie, and he's like, I want three years of money. And he's like, will you start it? And I'll give you money after the first. I'm like, I can't start it without the money. Come on. And he was wonderful. And we you went face to face with like a face master businessman. Yes, with Ernie Travis. <laughs> and um, he gave me a year's money. And he mm-hmm. said, let's see, I'll give you a year of funding yeah. and see what happens. Yeah. And he just really has supported us ever since. And we would bring him in. So that experience was just like truly mind-blowing, I was sharing with you earlier, the first cohort of students that came through that year, there's a gentleman who lives in Fairfield now, and he was from Egypt, and his mm-hmm. family wasn't here at the time. He was here on a student visa. He created a business in our center, did OPT in his business, applied for an E-2 visa and got it, wow. brought his family here, ends up with a green card, and he and his wife and three kids live in Fairfield, still working in that business that he wow. created at the center, wow. like our first That's got to be so rewarding. Oh, it's, like, amazing. And he's, like, a peer <laughs> now. Like, it's not even yeah. like he was ever a student. Right. Um, but we have so many stories. I had a gentleman this past August come back. He was part of the first group. He was an electrical engineer from Jordan, went back to Jordan, started a solar company, and now he has over 30 employees today. Wow. Came back here this year because his wife's doing the yeah. electrical engineering program. And this guy is running a full-blown operation and supporting families on the business started at the center. It's crazy. That's amazing. Um, so here we are, and that's how we started the center, and that's how we've been able to survive. And then the Bowers, George and Carol Bauer, also equally as wonderful, divine people, um, came in and took this building, Bauer Hall, which was you know, horrible at the moment when they first came, and they renovated that whole building for our innovation center. 
our first building, we were kind of borrowing on space on campus wasn't so great, but this building is like incredible. Mm-hmm. And that's thanks to the Bowers. So the Bowers funded the building for us and the Trevs are still funding the actual student entrepreneur center for us. And we're still here and kicking all these years later, creating businesses. That's incredible. Yeah, it's fun. Really fun. Good stuff. So we launch brands here, but it sounds like you're launching brands at UB as well. I mean, this is... Well, we're not this creative. So <laughs> <laughs> we have to refer people. There's definitely some synergy here. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting more more, you know, more involved there with that. Because oh you be, you too. know. I'm looking for you to come in. <laughs> yeah. Well, you were there for the commencement, so you heard the whole, the long yes. story. But UB is always going to have a place in my heart. It's that know? kind of a place, right? It is. Now, you met your wife there? Yes, I did. So just as a side note, you should have gotten an email asking about that story. Because on Valentine's Day, we're going to do a little something okay. about the people who I'll met there. You need, you need to send us your story. Yes. Because um, there's so many people who met. And have like these lifelong relationships yeah. from UB, which is really sweet. It's just it's just uh, kismet or the universe or whatever you want to call it. But I ended up there, met her, and we're still married. I love going it. on thirty years. It's insane, two right? kids. It is. So it is that it, it is a special place. It for is, people. and maybe that's not totally atypical. Maybe people who go to any school and they meet the person that they're spending yeah. time with there at that school, they really feel that connection. Um. But we certainly have those stories at UB, and yeah. it's really sweet. And you've managed to go uh, survive because this, you've gone through some tumultuous times. When I, I was saying, when I graduated, you know, we had the picketing going on during commencement, um, and and now there, you know, like Shine Hall's no longer there. The the campus is transformed. We've had different leadership. Yeah. What's been your secret for, say, survival? But but, <laughs> but being a constant that I think is has has. We're so grateful for that. Let me put it that way, because you being a constant there has has kept you be what it is, despite everything it's gone through. Um, well, thank you for saying that, and I will share that I'm probably one of, you know, a hundred or two hundreds. But I think that is kind of the feeling. The feeling was that, from a practical point of view, you're saying. Well, I might be saying I don't want to speak for other people. I might be saying to myself, "What am I doing? I could be making two, three times what I'm making here, working in industry." or going back to my business or something like that. And, you know, the days are tough. There, there, there have been tough mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. And the flip side of it is, how could you leave these students right now? How yeah. could you ever leave? And I'm, I am a person of pretty good stability. So like in sense of if I create a program and it's going to be a lunch and learn, we're going to do that every semester. And right. I don't care what's happening. And I don't care if the world's blowing up around you. We're going to keep you our commit programs. It and you're going to see yeah. it through. And I think that was the feeling that kind of always won was, you know, if you leave and you leave these programs, where's the stability? Where are the building blocks? Where are they building from? And we need to keep stability. So there are a, a large, a large, more than a handful of people. There's quite a good number of people who I think took that position and stayed the course and really helped lay you know, that foundation of a fabric so that the new institution coming in could be building off of it. Because when faculty leave, and again, not something I think I consciously thought of years ago, but faculty are the bones mm-hmm. of an institution that, te- that your job is education and the customer is a student. Um, you needed to kind of be there. So yeah. some people left by choice, some people left not by choice. <coughs> um, you know, I mean... But it's something that I, I mean, I think I'd be lying if I said it wasn't going through your head. Like, what are you doing? Like, right. what are you sticking this out for? And and then a student walks in the door or a student emails you or, 
you know, I got my husband wrapped into teaching there. I, I don't know if I left this part out. So remember I said <laughs> I, we were volunteering at yeah. the at the Student Volunteers, yeah. So my husband's a CPA. And, and when I first took the job full-time at the university, he was all mad at me. He's like, what are you going to go work for that paycheck for? I'm like, well, you don't know. Like, you don't teach. It's really awesome. You'll love the kids. <laughs> So only when he started helping did he fall in love with the yeah. students. And then, unfortunately, one of our accounting faculty fell ill with cancer. And we needed an immediate person to jump in. And I asked my husband, I'm like, can you fill in? He's like, I don't know how to teach. I'm like, sure you do. Come on. And, um, you know, this is – he's a CPA. He's working in the big fours. He's done international yeah. acquisitions. He's really bright. And I'm like, you got this. Well, he still teaches there till today. And he wow. loves the students. So that was the other common bond we had, which is that – we have students at our house. We have students over for holidays, you know, summer events. And it is part of our whole family fabric right. now. So even though he didn't go there, like you with your wife, you both met there, he's become part of, part of the fabric, yeah. which also I think helped during these really hard times, um, having both of us in that same environment with the students and prioritizing the students, I think really helped to yeah. keep us grounded there well i want to get there's so much on your i mean i can't imagine your business card probably doesn't fit everything on here like they've given you like 10 jobs (laughs) you have like the government you're talking to the city officials Um, and all this like i'm reading this i'm like how did she's so soft-spoken how did she get this yeah i'm not sure (laughs) that's just something they the higher ups thought of um yeah i think this is you'll be good for this here you know everybody steps back i think it's based on in between everything we're talking about, I created yeah. a few energy companies. Okay. And um, I think part of it is I've been in the state of Connecticut most of my life, mm-hmm. almost my whole life, just for short stints on projects outside. And over the course of time and having a business myself, I think I just got to know a lot of people in the state. Mm-hmm. And I think this part of the role is not probably because I really want to seek out working with government people. I think it's more just because I have a lifetime of being in Connecticut and starting businesses and understanding the culture and regulatory environments and things like that. So, yeah, I found it curious, too. I'm like, oh, me? Hmm. (laughs) Um, But the innovation makes sense. I'm really, really excited that they asked me to work on the strategic plan. That's After everything that's happened, I think it'll be really – that's probably going to be one of the most rewarding parts of this. I feel like the innovation part is stable. We've been doing that. that. You got that. the government relations part, I'm still putting my head around. And this part of strategic planning is really inspiring. The advancement. The, or not, oh. not the advancement part. The actual, like, we're going to help create the strategic plan. Got so, it. like, I'll be part of that. And that's something that um, I don't know that I realized I wanted to do, but now knowing how excited I am towards doing it, because now over all these years and seeing the changes mm-hmm. and knowing a lot of the people on campus and helping put a voice to everybody's thoughts and create a real strategic plan, Seems super, like, I'm really looking forward to that yeah. part of the work. How does Goodwin play into UB's future? Um, a lot. A lot, I think. And I think that's a good thing. Goodwin bought UB, mm-hmm. so it's a wholly owned subsidiary. Mm-hmm. They created a new entity. It's a wholly owned subsidiary. And there is a governance for UB and a governance for Goodwin. And there's a joint governance, Okay. Um, which is really cool. So I think if we look at it, in my mind, I almost do a Unilever situation, right? If you look at Unilever buying Ragu and Ben and & Jerry's and their various brands, right. there's effectively a Goodwin holding. And Goodwin has schools from pre-K all the way to high school. They have their college. They have a real estate portfolio. They have UB. They have other technical schools. So if you sort of envision maybe the traditional more corporate structures, right, with holdings and coming down, we're part of that. 
but we do need to roll up into their master plan. So the movement in education is very interesting right now. Higher education, there's a lot of conversations around people can't afford to go get those four-year degrees, either in economic or time. And we need these shorter credentialing mm -hmm. processes. Well, they sort of had that already with advanced manufacturing. So they were already in that vein of six-month programs or certificate programs, things of that nature. Um, so I, I see a lot of really good things. We carry a little bit deeper accreditation engineering business PhD programs. They carry the earlier part of it in some regards. Mm -hmm. um, and I love seeing that spectrum. So if a person, let's go to manufacturing, you created that very wonderful Make It in Connecticut website. And we talk about manufacturing. So if somebody's in manufacturing and wants to get upskilled, they may not need a four-year degree. They may want a six-month certificate. But if they decide they like it or want to further their education, mm -hmm. we could take them all the way through. So um, I don't know, you know, again, I can't say the first 10 minutes of this whole thing happening, I kind of understood it all. Or maybe not that I didn't understand it. I think maybe I didn't see the potential. But now I look at it like we'll be able to service in this world of education someone coming in right from a high school or an adult learner right. that's going to Yeah, because their, their students skew older. Yes. And I, I think the, the initial reaction was, oh, no, you know, it was mourning. It was like, we're going to lose UB. But if you look at where universities are trending, a lot of, a lot of economists or these guys that, that, that try to predict, they think of it as like a death march for universities, the traditional university, because enrollment yeah. keeps declining. So what you're saying makes sense that it's actually good in the long term because – sounds like Goodwin was already employing some of these strategies Correct. that I think can solve some of these challenges that, that the traditional universities are, are going to face or are already facing. Exactly. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I, I have to say it's the more every day I learn a little bit more and every day I like it. Um, and I see that whether consciously or not, mm -hmm. it's where we are today. And now, you know, again, throw COVID in the middle and just all yeah. these different changes. So there, theoretically, there are just less people college age right now. And that trend's going to continue, I think, another right. six or eight years, that we're going to have less people even in the pool of being able to go to college. And then you have these complications. COVID is a complication, mm -hmm. a significant complication, actually. Um, you have this skill set training where people, I, mean, I don't want to say kids, but I generally say kids, but that's probably not correct is, you know, I could go and learn computer science in two years. I don't need a four-year degree, and I can go get a job making six figures, you know, because it's so in demand. Second one, I'm going to have a job. You know, do I need this four-year degree? Um, so I think there are going, we're going to see a lot of changes, mm -hmm. and I think they'll work themselves out and stabilize, but I do think higher education is going to look a little bit different every day that yeah. goes on. It'll, but I think the core root of education will remain the same. Yeah. So yeah, so good. I think Goodwin's a good fit for that. Good, and I'm I'm just glad you're there. Put Thank it that you. Way. I feel like we have some of the good the good guys are still there, and I want to uh, as we wind down, I want to make sure I give you time to tell us about these cohorts because we talked a little bit about yeah. my my activity with Reset, and you're doing something very similar. Let's let's kind of wrap up with like telling uh, our listeners about this program, sure. how they can apply, what kind of grant money is available, awesome. like you know, because I, I think that's yeah. really valuable for those entrepreneurs out there listening. So thank you. Um, we were fortunate and received a grant from the city of Bridgeport. We being the University of Bridgeport, 
The University of Bridgeport applied to the city of Bridgeport for a grant through the Economic Development um, Division. And it came in from federal funding because of COVID. And we created a program, Accelerator Slash Incubator, for businesses that are in Bridgeport. So people either live in Bridgeport or the businesses in Bridgeport. And what we're doing is we're starting a program, a cohort. Our first cohort is going to start this Monday, but we have three years of funding. And we are taking these companies that are already in existence, so they're not at ideation. They're already Mm -hmm. companies that do something. They must have some revenue. And we're taking them and helping them get stable and very well-rooted and then scale. So every company comes to us from a different place, and we have very diverse companies, which is wonderful. So we have a cohort of 12 that will start on Monday. They'll have weekly education. They'll have weekly one-on-one mentoring. They get co-working space in the Innovation Center. Wow as well as grant money. So we have up to $7,000 of grant money per company. They need to complete a third of the program. The program's almost 40 weeks, so they need to do the first third of the program in order to apply. But what that will mean is that their mentors will work with them in identifying the best use of the money. So this morning I was interviewing a company, and in fact, they have been operating, but they don't have a legal entity. So certainly that's something that they could put their money towards. Right. Um, But every company will be different, and every company is going to have different needs. And as they work with their mentors, they'll be able, I think, to really prioritize how that money should be spent. And we're keeping a lot of data, tracking the data, um, coming in, and we'll have four data polls. And hopefully we'll be able to see at the end of this that we've made a difference. And the goal is rooting them in Bridgeport, making sure they're stable, um, connecting them with a community of peers. You know, I feel like when people start businesses, it's very lonely. We, You and I have both started businesses. Mm-hmm. You can't tell your employees what the problems are. So helping them find a leadership peer group, helping them learn about the ecosystem in the state that we have support for companies, SBDC, DCD, SBIR, you know, there's an alphabet soup right. of support. Um, and giving them a home, you know, in Bridgeport on campus with the Innovation Center. So we're really excited. This will be our first cohort. We'll be able to do three of them. All right. And how do people um, apply? Sure. And you, you mentioned like some of the requirements. They need to the, the business has to be established. They need to be making some money. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be any type of business. Any type of business. And we have a website. So it's www.bridgeportaccelerator.com. And they go on. They submit onto the website, and that will come into us. And then we call them for an interview. And when's the next, uh, the next cohort? Well, when It'll that happen? start next January, but we hope to start it a little bit earlier in January. So we will be out for companies in November. So November of 2022, we will start the process of searching companies again. Um, it's a little bit different than most of the accelerators in the state. It's a little bit longer in accelerator, but we're going to try this model with the hope that we really get to develop an ecosystem in Bridgeport you know, and get these fundamental cohorts also helping others the year after, mentoring companies the year after. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. I think that's going to be, you know, of use to to a lot of our listeners to sign up for that because I know that New Haven's doing something, Hartford's Mm -hmm. doing something. It's really good. Stanford's doing something. Yeah. Now Bridgeport's doing something. (laughs) We got to keep Bridgeport on the map. Really? Exactly. Light it up. Absolutely. Um, so fire up our listeners. Like, what is something that, I mean, because you've been through it. You literally survived um, all kind of things. You know, the Bermuda thing, which was a, a pivot in your life, and then all these different businesses. What's a piece of advice you could share to, to our entrepreneurial listeners out there that, that are, you know, maybe maybe need to get a fire lit under them? Oh, very cool. Um, so a couple things. One thing is 
I am a very much a, a read and learn and stay the course person. So I make decisions. I will pivot, but I try to make them carefully. So in the heat of emotion, don't make a decision. You know, like if you're very emotional about something, take a breath mm-hmm. and read. You know, get out of your head. Get out of thinking. Go grab a book and do something that's going to be helpful and take you out of the space your head's in at the moment. I think in entrepreneurship, there's a lot of emotion because there are a lot of challenges. And everyone's problem is your problem. Every problem in the business is your problem. There's so much you're carrying that sometimes I think entrepreneurs get overwhelmed. So take a breath. Take a breath. But when you're breathing, don't get on social media. Don't call. Don't bitch. Excuse me. Can I say that word? Um, You know, read a book. Be productive. Old-fashioned reading to me is like therapy. Um, so that's, that's what I think, the best thing, and really just try to make decisions with a clear head and not with emotion. Awesome. Awesome advice. Thank you, Elena, for being here. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. <laughs> Your place is amazing, by the way. Um, <laughs> thank thank you. you so much for having me. Thank I you. Appreciate it. We'll be in touch. Okay. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Mission Control. Until next time, this is Ramon Peralta with Peralta Design, and we launch brands. Thank you for taking this journey with us. To learn more about Peralta Design and our work, go to www.peraltadesign.com and subscribe to keep up with the crew.